0: Welcome to episode 133 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I am Chris and joining me. Is Shane, we are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky. And this one is for anyone else who likes going out uh, under the stars. So, Shane, did you know? Do you know what June 30th is? Mm, the end of the month. It not only, <laughs> I didn't I learned this today. So I'm signed <laughs> up to to the uh, NASA emails, yeah. and I got one today that said um, that June 30th is Asteroid Day. It's International Asteroid Day.
1: Whoa, whoa, whoa. What the and,
0: heck? And <laughs> that, is, that is what people should, should be celebrating on, on June 30th. So anyhow, that, that's something new and exciting. So, are you, are you planning to celebrate International Asteroid uh, Awareness Day?
1: Um, you know, I guess I'll have to pencil it in. Um, I, you know, I wasn't really planning on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, now we have sound effects. Uh... <laughs> You're you're muted, Chris.
0: Oh, there we go. I was I was actually talking, <laughs> but I was saying, um, well, here we are We're under the night sky, and uh, we we're joined by the crickets, and uh, we're gonna actually do some astronomy.
1: Oh, take it away.
0: <laughs> All right, I'll 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 let the gas the crickets. There we go. All right. Um. So here we are. We're under the night sky, and uh, we've we've. Uh, Put the blanket over over the crickets, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna take take a look now. As it gets gets dark on these nights, you know, once it's starting to get dark, uh, you know, one of the things that that we've noticed is that from a dark site, from really any site, even even from our subdivisions here, we can actually see that belt of Venus. Say, eh?
1: oh yeah, yeah. This time of the year, it's it's quite prevalent.
0: Yeah. So what what is the belt of Venus? Exactly, Shane.
1: Uh well, that is the Earth Earth's shadow being cast uh, by a setting or rising sun. So most of us will see it as a setting sun because most of us are still awake at that point. So if you mm. look, uh, if you look to the opposite sky where the sun is setting, so you know it sets kind of in the west. Um, so if you look east, you'll see a purple banding, and uh, that's what you're talking about. And then you know reverse all of that if you're awake while the sun's rising.
0: Yeah, so you n- usually need fairly clear conditions and you need to look uh, sort of opposite the sun in the sky whether it's rising in the morning and you're going to look towards the west or setting in the evening you're going to look opposite and sort of towards like well here we're so far north you got to look sort of towards the south uh, the southeast in the in the evening sky but what what happens is you know as, as soon as the sun goes below the horizon the the light waves um, they come through the atmosphere and then uh, you know the observers see sort of these these pinky glows as the, uh, as the light waves from the sun kind of get back scattered off uh, the atmosphere. And then the observer is seeing the Earth's shadow slowly rising. I always feel like it looks kind of like a, a bruise or something. sort of like a sort of like a long bruise on a, on a banana or something kind of has this sort of uh, you know you have this bright area and then it kind of turns to a pinky area and then then it has like a very sort of dark uh, purple area. But it's actually it's it's pretty easy to see, you know, and you can see it from cities and everything. Eh?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. You don't need a you don't need to be in a dark area for this. You just w- really what you need is to be able to see the horizon because it doesn't it like it's not overhead. I I've never really measured it. My guess is it's maybe up to around 30 degrees in the sky. I don't know, yeah. something like that. Um, so you need, you need to see a bit of the horizon and you need, like you mentioned, Chris, you need a, a, a clear sky. If it's cloudy, you're not going to see this.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. But it, uh, this belt of Venus is really neat. And I think it's called the belt of Venus. Cause that is the, it's, it's not sort of exactly, but it it's in the, the region of the sky typically where Venus hangs out in. Is my understanding.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, uh, that's my understanding too.
0: When I first heard it, though, I always what, what I thought, and just because of the color and having you know observed the clouds on Venus myself for some time, um, I originally thought that it was because that band, maybe maybe was the color of the clouds um, that are on Venus. If, if you were actually on the surface of Venus, being crushed to death, um, but but that's what you would see right before things went went dark. But I don't yeah,
1: know. yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so towards the middle of July, so this is kind of, this is kind of set sort of for, for really any time this summer, but around the, the middle of, of July and the middle of August um, for people that are, that are going to enjoy our, our binocular star tour, maybe you're going to take this out and, and listen to it. That would be cool. Or you're just going to going to listen to it and, and enjoy this. But in the middle of the month, um, we're going to have uh, first quarter moons. Now, it's going to vary a few days um, on either side. But I know when we were talking about um, when to observe the moon, I think in this coming month, it's like on the 14th or, or 15th of, of July. But, but regardless, sort of on, on the few days, sort of on either side, that kind of is like the, the first quarter period. Um, we can take our binoculars. We can look at the moon, right? And mm-hmm. so you, you've done this a lot. You kind of notice... When you look at the moon, even with your unaided eye, you notice these, these two things, you know, it's like a, the brighter areas and the darker areas. So what are, what are the darker areas that we see on the moon?
1: The darker areas are the mare. So, uh, I believe that's Latin for sea, mm-hmm. um, because when early observers would look at the moon, they felt it sort of, uh, you know, represented or looked similar to like a, a sea on earth. And, um, uh, anyway, what, what that area is, is a lot of the like ancient lava flows, uh, from when the moon was a more active space mm-hmm. place, maybe place is a better word.
0: Yeah. And then the, there's the bright areas. Now I've, I've got this labeled here, like in, in the little presentation that we're kind of sharing between us that I'm going to kind of give, uh, later on in the summer, but, um, so are all the lighter areas, are they all highlands? Or I guess they're all higher lands one way or another. And I think there's like a lot of mountain ranges. So I guess, are they all sort of highlands or do you know?
1: <laughs> uh that's a good question i don't know i don't know that one yeah
0: <laughs> we we are amateurs so it so it's okay if if we admit that i know i know that i know that some of the areas are much higher and that are referred to as the highlands i know there's like the southern highlands and the apennins and Apennines uh, that is and and then there's the uh th- there's some other highlands but but I, I was thinking i guess all the lighter areas they are higher than than the mary the mary are kind of like the lower points and then uh yeah, the white, the white areas are dominated, perhaps is the best uh, way to put it by highlands. And then there's also like crater rims um, and that sort of thing. And one of, the, one of the biggest craters that you can see as we kind of get into that first quarter, or just past first quarter, because I think, I think it becomes sort of well visible uh, this July, um, sort of about the 15th and 16th of, of the month, is that Mare Serentatis or Mare Serenum region there on the sort of, if you're looking at the moon, it's the very circular Mary or the very circular dark spot on the upper right uh, of the moon, sort of, um, or sort of to the right of the moon, I guess, uh, right by the Terminator or the dark shadowy line that cuts across the center of the moon uh, in the middle of the month. And with binoculars, that's a spectacular thing to look at, eh?
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, any of the. <laughs> Any kind of optical aid on the moon just transforms it. And you see so much detail, whether it's just the color variations from like the darker areas to the lighter areas, you know, some of the craters start to take form. You start to see some of the ridges. It, it really is an incredible sight.
0: Yeah. And in, and in North America, if you actually get out, so if we said like a, a great day to see uh mayor uh, Serenitatis is, uh, is on the 15th, the following night, you can still see it quite well. But on the 16th, I think you were saying when we recorded the uh, objects to observe in the July night sky, uh, the 16th is going to be the night to see the lunar X and the lunar V. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Kind of neat features. And if you've never seen them, I don't know if they're visible through binoculars. I've never tried that. Maybe maybe I will try that this month.
0: Yeah, that would be a good challenge. And I know that uh, lots of people have higher power binoculars and small telescopes. So I, I just kind of thought that I would I would throw them uh, in into this presentation. I really wish I had a better wave file of the crickets. And then as we, as we transition from, if we had a sound, if we had a sound engineer, I would ask, I would ask them to, to insert the crickets here because I'm, I'm sort of moving, moving and transitioning to a different point in our binocular sky, sky tour for the summer of 2021. So What we're looking at here now is, is the sky is, uh, it's, it's getting darker, but it it always seems to take so long to get it to a dark, uh, you know, situation with, with the night sky. So you're out there and you're waiting and waiting and waiting. Um, and as we get to the middle of this month, you know, we will get some dark skies here, probably about, uh, 1130 or so. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. Pretty late.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's gonna, it's gonna take a little while. So what I was thinking is that as as I go out to do my binocular sky tours, um, which which are delayed, there um, hopefully a couple will happen in August or something. Um, one thing I like to do is kind of let people start with some of the stars that are that are showing. Um, but if I can, what I'll do is get them to like take a look at the moon first through the binoculars, and then just try to start to point out the the brightest stars that come out or, or the brightest star patterns that they can recognize and then move along from there. So like with my students, for example, when, when we're able to, to get out and do some astronomy, uh, even from the city, what I'll do is I'll, I'll get them to identify the big dipper. Cause most people, not everybody, but most people is going to be familiar. They're going to be familiar with the big dipper, eh? Right off the start.
1: Most people. Yeah. That's, yeah. it's one of the more prominent constellations, uh, in the Northern hemisphere for sure. Um, so a lot of people can pull that one out.
0: Yeah, so typically they're familiar with that handle of the Big Dipper. So what I what I typically do is is I get started and I get them to uh, to do that whole arc to Arcturus business. And you follow this this line around uh, from the Big Dipper. I think it's I think it's around like thirty five degrees or you know about three and a half fist lengths or so uh, to Arcturus. But Arcturus is a bright orange star. And it's going to appear uh, very high, right now anyway, fairly high in the uh, western sky. But it is definitely in the western sky. And the Big Dipper is kind of swung around. And so you'll see the Big Dipper handle. And then that handle will arc. It kind of has a bit of a bend to it. Sort of a, as you curve along that bend and then, and then come out, um, that handle kind of points in a bit of an arc-like fashion uh, to that star Arcturus. And this is a great time of year to do that because Arcturus is, is coming. up; would be pretty low in, 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 the start of August even. Um, but it is visible. I eh? have you, you, you've used that before in kind of directing people around the sky, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the arc is kind of weird to me, but you know, I can see it. It makes, it makes sense. Um, you know, it is a, a decent guide to get around the summer sky.
0: Yeah. And there's, there's some really good, um, you know uh physical books that people can get to help with this um have one have one right here this this isn't a video that we're doing but um terence dickinson's uh exploring the ninth sky has um has some really good little finder charts in there and those finder charts have the arc to arcturus and some of the other things that we're going to refer to there it's very sort of basic book and then another really good book and we recommend this book a lot to people that are getting started in astronomy, and that book is Night Watch by Terence Dickinson. Their book yeah, very-
1: yeah. Both both of those are really uh, really good books.
0: Yeah. So with the uh, with the to Arcturus, that helps us find the bright star Arcturus, and then Arcturus is just the the bottom star in a constellation called Boots the Herdsman, which I think would have been a more popular constellation if they had called it. Uh, the Arcturus kite or something like that. Cause it looks like a kite.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It does. Yeah. Way more like a kite. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> Even um, yeah. I, I see many different things, but uh, they, I don't know. They seem to choose the, the least apparent at least to me.
0: <laughs> does, does not look like a herdsman to me. No, 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 it, it, it doesn't look like a herdsman at all. So um, let's see. So, when you you look at Arcturus, it's a bright orange star, and then above it, you're kind of going to see two reasonably bright stars, quite bright stars, not as bright as Arcturus, but pretty bright, and they're going to be a little bit close together, and then there's another set that are a little bit further apart, and they're kind of curved, like, it's not all sort of perfectly symmetrical, but it's close, and then there's a star at the peak, it. it just forms this sort of classic, very large uh, kite formation. And by finding this, you can sort of lead your way because now that you've moved from the Big Dipper, which is in the north, to Arcturus, which is sort of very high in, in the south or, or west, I guess, sort of like the, the, you know, southwest-ish, you know, or reasonably high up in the southwest. Um, then you can find some of the other uh, stars and constellations like Corona Borealis, uh, which again um, has a convoluted name, the northern crown, but it just looks like a giant U in the sky.
1: Yeah. I guess if you rotated it, you know, I could sort of see it being a crown that I don't know, maybe more of a, a hat.
0: <laughs> I like to think of it as a giant C cause my name begins with a C.
1: Ah, uh, yes. Yes. But, uh, I can, uh, nobody
0: I, can asked. S-
1: I can see that.
0: Ah, uh, and nobody asked me so, mm. but it's, it's sort of unmistakable to have this, this big dipper pattern that most people are familiar with. And then the kite pattern, as soon as you point that out to people, or even just tell people about it, or to go looking for it, that this is a really easy pattern to see. Uh, people can see that. And then really um, the kite pattern of uh, boots and Corona they're, they're, they're so tight together and they're so unmistakable to see um, that they really go hand in hand as, as sort of a, a nice pair of constellations, sort of like, um, yeah, it's pretty hard to kind of, you know, navigate your night sky without kind of knowing those, even though most people are going to have heard of the Big Dipper pattern of stars. Some people might have heard of boots or recognize the kite. And I think like, you know, with Corona Borealis being this sort of funny name and being a pretty small constellation, most people aren't going to have uh, thought about that one before and maybe known how to recognize it. But but that's a really good place to start because, as, as we continue to move along, there's going to be some other stuff. But anyway, we'll talk about Arcturus for a second. So Arcturus is a red giant star, and it's in boots, and it's the B-O. And what's, what are those two dots over the second O? What's that called? Do you remember? I don't remember.
1: Mm, I don't remember.
0: Anyway, it's got those fancy dots and T E S. And then uh, this is among the brightest stars that we can see from Earth. So it's, it's in that set of stars you can see from the bright city. Now, you might not see the rest of the constellation from the bright city, but uh, in most cities, uh, at least here in Canada anyway, uh, they're not going to be too bright to wash at Arcturus. And, uh, you know, Arcturus is a red giant. So it's, it's getting into the latter part of its life, and it will eventually end up as a white dwarf. And then for, for scale here, I have a, uh, an image of the sun and our sun will eventually become a red giant. Um, and it's just like, uh, the sun is really like, looks like it's about like maybe what, like a hundredth the size of Arcturus, something like that.
1: Yeah. It's almost like a, a pea beside a tennis ball.
0: Yes. That's a good way to put it. That's a good way to put it.
1: So if we continue on,
0: we've, we started at the big dipper. We arc to Arcturus in the constellation of Boots. And then we move up to Corona Borealis, which forms this uh, northern crown. And then from there, if we continue towards sort of the, the zenith a little bit, overhead a little bit, and then to the left or or a little bit towards the east, we get to Hercules and that keystone pattern um, of Hercules. I, I always think, well... It doesn't really look like a strong man or, or really a human figure at all to me. I really feel like this kind of looks like the octopus. I don't know about you, Shane. I think it looks like an octopus.
1: <laughs> this one, I can, I can see the hunter, you know, or, or you really know, I can see the, yeah, I, I see Hercules here. Um, okay. Yeah, no, this one I'm good with. Um, although <laughs> I usually come at it from uh, Lyra, actually. I, I use okay. Lyra as my guide constellation here. Nice. Yeah. I, I, the, the two, the two, so you, you have Vega, which is prominent and then there's two other stars that are, you know, kind of beta and I don't know what the next brightness uh, uh, notification is, but, um, or labeling, but anyway, you follow those two stars and they draw pretty much a straight line right to the keystone as well.
0: Yeah. The way, the way I do it. And I mean, people can learn their own ways, um, is I look at Corona Borealis and I look at Vega and I kind of just sort of right between that's where Hercules is because the stars of Hercules are actually a little fainter um, than a lot of those, those other stars sort of around, but in, in the middle of Hercules, it has what's called this, this keystone um, pattern of stars. So I don't know how to describe it. It looks like a square that uh, that chain stepped on in, in the dark and it kind of squished one end.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll take that. So the keystone is neat. So, do you know what a do you know what a keystone is? Well, it's the most important stone, or or the key stone, um, in building an arch. <laughs> it it you know without the keystone, an arch would fall apart. But with the keystone, you know all of the other stones kind of put pressure on it, and then you know this pressure allows it to remain, uh, I guess, suspended or above you. So yeah, yeah.
0: It, it's amazing, you know, and and this this was a, a sort of an ancient discovery. They've been using this in in buildings, um, you know, for, for a long time. I don't know how long. This isn't a podcast on architecture, so we're not going to get too far into that. Um, but it's really cool. Like, so it's kind of uh, it's kind of angled on either way. It's not quite like a like a I don't know what to call it, but um, it's not quite like a like a wedge, but it kind of is somewhat wedge shaped on the sides, it's still sort of flat across both ends, but one end is much wider than the other. And then what they would do is they would build up a series of stones, I guess, and hope that another of those bits sort of crumble down. And then when you dropped in the keystone, the force of those other stones trying to fall actually strengthens that, that arch. And you know, if you go and look for a keystone door structure, you'll find a lot of uh, ancient uh, doorways. Uh, that, that are that are built with that technology, but you know what I find uh, really neat about this tell me is that and, and this is not rehearsed by the way folks we, we have some notes that I made up, and Shane reviewed them, so you know kudos to Shane for talking off the top of his head like this um, is that Hercules from here anyway, and from m- many places in mid northern latitudes, uh, Hercules passes through the zenith, right, and it 's yes. doing this. At yes. at this time of year. And I always just thought it was so neat that the keystone constellation, or the constellation with the keystone in the center of it, is actually passing through the zenith, the highest point, just like the highest point in the doorway, where the mm-hmm. keystone would would support the the arc. And so here we have the keystone supporting like the celestial sphere, you know, like Hercules holding the globe on its on his on his shoulders, or atlas, mm-hmm. I guess, mm-hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Uh, I guess, uh, probably only available around 50 degrees latitude then something like that. Yeah. yeah Cause yeah. It,
0: once you go too far North or too far South, it's, it's going to yeah. jog out, but it, it passes. I'm, I'm right there. It passes right through our Zenith, right? It right through our overhead
1: point. Yep. Yep. Where, for sure. like is.
0: very close to it. Cause I think we're, where I've done a lot of observing, which is down around 40. Um, I think it kind of misses it. I think it goes over the, the Northern side. Mm. Um, you know, it just, just passes to the north of the Zenith. So, but but from here we get it right, uh, right in the Zenith. Anyway, you referred to, to Vega earlier and uh, Vega is part of a giant asterism or giant triangle of stars. What is that triangle of stars, Shane?
1: <laughs> well, it's the summer triangle. <laughs> so it, it involves Vega, as you mentioned, Uh, Altair and Deneb. And uh, it's yet another, you know, when you can identify these bright stars, um, they really, first of all, these stars really jump out at you, even in say the city or light polluted skies. And once you can find these three stars, um, you know, it's just another landmark in the sky to help you find other things. Uh, You know, you find these three constellations, Um, and then once you find these three constellations, it just, you kind of keep hopping around the sky and, and, you know, I think, I think maybe a comment that I'll make here just about learning the sky or the constellations is it can be overwhelming because with your eye, you see, you know, around 2000 stars, if you're under a dark sky and, um, you know, the, to identify the constellations can be a little challenging. So it's, it goes back to that old saying of how do you eat an elephant? And it's, you know, it's one bite at a time. And I think when you look at the night sky, try not to be overwhelmed by the 2000 stars that you might be seeing chunk it up. And this is one way to do that, right? Look at, look for the summer triangle that chunks up the sky a little bit. And then once you can identify that chunk, you can move on to the next one.
0: Oh, I got a, I got a note here from the lawyers. They said the, we have to read this, the uh, actual standard podcast, neither, um, well, we don't support the hunting
1: of elephants, or eating of them, or eating them. Yep, that's fair. <laughs> thank you for
0: thank you, lawyers. Yeah, s- sorry to wreck your your safari fun, Shane.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Bison, maybe bison is
1: mm, good enough. I, I do like bison. Yep,
0: bison is very good. <laughs> yes, and very very fresh where we live. Yep, and if you've never had bison before, it's no joke. You should try it. Very <laughs> good. True. It is true. It's the best. It's the best. All right. So yeah, there we have that giant uh, triangle of stars. Um, it's very big. The one thing I find with the with the summer triangle, I I often mention it to my students and then they go to locate it. They're like, I couldn't find it. I found the northern cross. I think I found Lyra. I'm not sure about Aquila, but uh, but that giant triangle, I don't know. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. So we go out and you know the parking lot. I'm like, yeah, there it is. They're like, oh, that's like it's
1: huge, right? It's massive. It really, it, it's a huge part of the sky. It really is like, you know, we'll share. So the images that Chris and I are looking at will be shared with all the listeners. We'll put it on our website, actualastronomy.com. Um, so if you happen to take a look at this, um, this, the, the image that you and I are looking at just doesn't really show the scale of how big this thing really is. Um, it's quite huge.
0: Yeah. So we've got three stars, um, that make up the, uh, the summer trine. We have Deneb, which is a first magnitude star in the constellation of Cygnus the Swan. And uh, it's the brightest star in Cygnus and the 19th brightest star in the sky. So have a little bit of a theme here. Like these are kind of among the 20 brightest stars in, in the sky. And uh, it's got an apparent magnitude of, of plus one or just a little bit brighter. It's a supergiant, a blue-white supergiant, and it rivals Rigel. As one of the most luminous stars uh, in the sky, and uh, Vega is one of the other bright stars here, and it's in the constellation of Lyra the Harp, um, and it it is a fifth uh, the fifth brightest star in the sky, and the second brightest star uh, after Arcturus. So uh, yeah, these these are some very bright stars. And then sort of followed by uh, Altair, which is the 12th brightest star in the night sky. And uh, one of the closest stars to the earth at only 16.7 light years. Um, and what's neat is you can actually see, like I have a bit of a, a diagram here that I found online and we have Altair and, uh, and Vega. You can see that they're not quite round.
1: Nope. They're, they're sort of,
0: egg-shaped.
1: they're egg shaped. Yeah. 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 So,
0: and then the earth, uh, sorry, the sun is, Oh, like what? Like about maybe like a fifth the size of Altair and maybe a eighth or tenth the size of Vega, something like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And compared to Deneb.
1: It's a drop in the bucket. All
0: bets are off. Yeah.
1: Deneb is huge.
0: Yeah. Deneb's really big. Really big. (laughs) Really big. (laughs) Imagine if Deneb was as close as Altair what our sky would look like then.
1: I I can't. I I can't. It's too much. It's too much to take in right now.
0: You'd have to wear your sunglasses when you're observing.
1: Yeah, I know. We would not have dark skies.
0: (laughs) All right. Okay. So we'll revisit uh, some of these, these constellations later. Let's go take a look at the planets. And again, this is where the crickets would come in chirping if we had a uh, sound engineer. Chirp, chirp. Okay. So, so by this point in the evening, it's now just sort of almost dark uh, and Jupiter and Saturn have risen up. And I I guess every time I kind of give the crickets, you could just sort of hit pause and go observe for half an hour and then come back. Cause I kind of sort of broke this into half hour increments. And this is just an experiment. So I'm going to go do some, some sky tours, hopefully, you know, sort of, uh, you know, COVID, uh, getting back under control. And, uh, I'm trying to sort of like figure out like, what, what am I going to show people this year? I kind of want to, up my game a little bit and sort of do something for the podcast, organize it a little bit better, and then take it back and actually uh, take people out under the stars and, and run them through this. So it's a, it's a bit of an experiment. So I'm kind of throwing this at Shane tonight and uh, we're doing this as sort of a a bit of a one-off special.
1: You, you, you know, uh, what's, what's the one I'm looking for here. (laughs) Um, Anyway, it's something about taking risk and reward, but anyway, I'll, I'll think of it later. Carry on
0: get to get work on that all yeah. right so in the in the southeast um, we have Jupiter and Saturn they, they've now come above the horizon uh, in our time my time I think is is incorrect in this I think it'll be more like 10:30 uh, uh, in the in the evening here in in Saskatchewan anyway and we'll have Jupiter and Saturn um, you know really high in the sky and it's it's sort of um, kind of amazing in a way that most people and you can see them they're very bright you can see them from the city. They're going to be um, brighter than the stars of the summer triangle. They're going to like Saturn is almost as bright as Arcturus and Jupiter is much brighter than any of those stars. Eh?
1: Mm-hmm. Jupiter is extremely bright. Um, once, once you know that it's Jupiter, you will never miss it for the rest of the season because it is just that bright.
0: Yeah. And people typically don't realize that they're going to be able to see those with their unaided eye. And so, uh, you know, we'll be out at, at uh, you know, at, at a national park or provincial park or something, um, doing a sky tour and you'll say, Hey, let's look at, uh, Jupiter and Saturn. And then people are like, well, where's the telescope, you know, cause we're just out here getting a, getting a star walk. And, uh, and then you just point them out and they're like, what, those are planets. No, they're not, you know, kind of thing. Like yeah, people, yep. people don't believe that you can just see a planet without having a telescope or anything.
1: Yeah. That happens just about every time. And, and what's really neat is, you know, when, when you point it out, um, you know, and and people see it naked eye, and then you put some optics on it and start to see some of the detail. It's, it's a pretty neat experience, even for me, you know, and, and I've looked at the planets quite a few times in my life. It's still kind of neat to conceptualize that, you know, that I'm seeing it, you know, two different ways.
0: And so what do you see when you point your binoculars at Jupiter and, and or Saturn, both of them, I guess?
1: Well, um, let's start with Jupiter. Uh, you will see the disc of Jupiter, which will probably be a a bright ball. Like it'll, it'll have a disc shape to it. Um, you likely will not see any surface detail. You know, you need a telescope in order to start seeing some of the cloud banding in the great red spot. Yeah. Binoculars just don't have enough aperture for that for the most part, unless you have some real big binoculars. Um, so that's feature. Number one is the planet itself. And then the next one is you'll notice what appears to be some bright stars, uh, around Jupiter. Um, they can be in a bunch of different configurations. There's sometimes up to four of them. Um, and those are the Galilean moons. So Callisto, Io, Europa, and Ganymede, Um, they're quite bright and they, they're constantly rotating around Jupiter. So some nights you'll see two on one side and two on the other side. Sometimes all four can be on one side. Sometimes you might only see two because one or two of them or whatever are behind or in front of the planet and you just can't make them out through the binoculars. Right. Right. Um, so you want to take a look for those Galilean moons and even note their position. And what's kind of a neat thing to do is if you do this over, uh, multiple nights, or if you're out for quite a few hours, um, kind of plot their distance roughly, you know, on a piece of paper, um, at the start of the night, and then, you know, come back in a couple of hours and just see how they've moved, uh, because Mm -hmm. you will see some movement there. Yeah. Um, so that's Jupiter, now Saturn, you know, Lord of the Rings, uh, is a phenomenal <laughs> view through the telescope because you see so much detail there in the rings. Yeah. Uh, again, with your standard binoculars, you're you're not really going to see the rings in terms of them being you know full of detail and separated from the disk of Saturn. But what you will see is kind of a ovalish. Um, type of object with, you know, a yeah. couple bumps, you know, and, and really what you are seeing is the planet disc and the rings. However, you know, your standard binoculars just don't have enough aperture or resolution ability to really pull those two features apart. So it appears as one kind of bright blob. Yeah. Um, and, uh, that's pretty neat. So, uh, you know, don't, uh, you know, don't sleep on Saturn. I'd still give it a try with binoculars.
0: Yeah. it's just kind of neat to, uh, to identify it, and then uh, like when I'm doing these tours, uh, you know, sometimes people show up with higher power binoculars, and sort of the 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 downside of the high power binoculars is they have a small field of view. Like typically, there's there's at least one person that shows up with like a 15 or a 20, or even a, I, I've had a lot of people show up with like a 25 power binocular before, and for the most part, these sky tours um, don't work well for them because the field of view in a 25 power binocular is pretty small. They're kind of a little bit unsteady. They can't hold them up for very long, but when they point them at the planets, you get a pretty big wow out of them, you know? So they, they, they get a couple little wins here and, and they might be able to see the, uh, the rings of Saturn and, and uh, they'll see Jupiter pretty good through those. Yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Where is the center of the galaxy? And don't say it's in, Moncton. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, the the center of uh, the Milky Way galaxy is uh, just off of the um, sort of the the spout of the teapot or in, in uh, Sagittarius, which is kind of in the, like where we are at 50 degrees latitude. This would be the, the summer, kind of in the heart of the summer Milky Way, uh, which is very near the horizon for us. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, it's sort of, there's not really much to see there. There's, there's sort of a faintish star and sitting right in uh, reading in a dark lane, right between, uh, the teapot of Sagittarius and Scorpius, the scorpion. Now, now I really think that Scorpius, the scorpion really does look like a scorpion agree or disagree.
1: Uh, agree. Yeah. That's one yes. of the more, uh, intuitive ones to, to look at. Like it does, it does represent the, uh, uh, I guess the crustacean.
0: (laughs) Yeah, they, they are a crustacean. I I think perhaps, um, actually now I think about an arachnid, I should know this because, um, I, have I've been stung in the middle of the night by a scorpion, um, sleeping in a, in in an Italian, um, olive press (laughs) in the middle of the night. And, uh, yeah, that, 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 that's no fun. Um, and then the teapot, of Sagittarius, not, you know, it's supposed to be, um, an archer or a centaur or something like that, but I, I mean the teapot perfect fit. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The teapot is what really stands out there. And, and that's another thing. Like once you see that teapot, you see it every time, you know, it just, to me, it's so prominent.
0: Yeah. I could even see it quite well. Uh, I was up one night observing, you know, the Zach Garfinakis thing, observing, or it's between two ferns, Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep. I'm I'm between two um scraggly trees in my yard when I <laughs> when I observe it's the the only dark spot I have. That I think I'll start an observing column and I'll call it between two trees. Um and, and that spot is the only dark, reasonably dark spot I have in my yard. And you know, I can still sketch in there um, without a flashlight. That's how bright it still is. But I can see the Sagittarius teapot from there. I can see Messier 8 from there, I can see Um, a little bit lower than that. I don't think I can get Messier seven yet. Um, I don't think I will, but you know, that's, that's pretty low, pretty low on the horizon. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, anyway, so I can kind of see like that entire Scorpius region. We actually lose the bottom of, of the stinger of the scorpion. We see the Shola, the two stars that are, that are bright in the bottom, but, but it does look like a scorpion. Uh, and a teapot. And then the center of the Milky Way galaxy sits between them. So when I'm doing a sky tour with people, I like to point this out. I'm like, you won't see anything here, but this is where the center of our galaxy is. It is not Moncton. All right.
1: How about some double stars?
0: Shane, what are double stars? Tell us about them.
1: Yeah. So double stars. uh, So the basic definition is it's going to be, um, uh, at least two stars and sometimes more, that orbit around a a common gravitational point, or there's a gravitational interaction between these stars. Um, So often what you'll see is there's a primary and then typically a secondary. So the secondary star will kind of rotate around the primary and and make it wobble a little bit as well in its placement. Um, Now, uh, what's interesting about these double stars from an observational standpoint is Sometimes they form some pretty interesting uh, sort of patterns or alignments, um, but also uh, some of them uh, have different uh, colors. So, like an orange star and a white star, or a white star and a blue star. And when when they're close, and that's the other thing, a lot of doubles—not I guess not a lot, but some doubles—are uh, are quite close. And when you have two stars of two different colors that are really close. The contrast becomes very apparent, and it's a lot easier, I find, to observe different star color um, and and really you know notice it with your eye. Um, so that's one class, or like that's the true class of double stars, and and really double star is kind of a misnomer. It should be multiple star system because there can be mm-hmm. more than just two stars. And uh, like I think the last estimate I read was something like eighty percent of all stars in the sky are a part of a multi star system or a double-star system. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's quite interesting, and uh, there's a lot out there. Now, there's one other class that I'll talk about, and that's a, a visual double-star alignment. So, from where we are on Earth, it looks like two stars might be part of a system together, uh, but it's just an optical alignment. One is, you know, really close, and one is a long ways away. There's no association between these two stars. It's just they're aligned to look like they're very close. Uh, from where we, where we uh, are in the universe. One of, one
0: of the uh, most interesting, and it's, it's a good point you make that some are, many are multiple stars. Like this, this first one is a multiple star, not necessarily a double star, which is uh 30, 31 and 32 um, Omicron signi. And this is between almost like equidistance, between, or like right in the middle of uh, a line from Deneb to Delta, Cygni, um, is Omicron. And it's just above that like center point in that line. And to your unaided eye, it looks like a, uh, a fuzzy spot. And in fact, uh, I think it was early Chinese astronomers called it the hens uh, or the hens um, feed or something like that. It had like this really funny thing. And it was one of the original um, objects that was catalogued uh, by ancient astronomers and, and appeared in Hipparchus. and then Ptolemy put it in his catalog. But um, it turned out that it's just sort of a random scattering of stars that are there. But um, unfortunately, um, you know it didn't make it into any of the catalogs because it's just a random sampling of stars. But it's sort of a neat spot. So if you look for a fuzzy spot, uh equal distance between Deneb and Delta, you will actually see a series of stars through your binoculars. And then we have Alberio right at the end of the cross, close to Lyra. Have you ever tried like with your 10 power binoculars to split those? You have 12 power binoculars. That would definitely do it.
1: Yeah, I think I have done it with the 12 power. Yeah. Yep.
0: And we, we talked about this lots during our uh, objects to observe the night sky. So I just point this out right at the end of the cross. We have the double star. Albireo, beautiful, um, sort of uh, orangish red, and then sort of uh, a light blue color, sapphire blue, I guess.
1: Yeah, and this is this is probably the most famous example of a visual double. These, this is not actually a double star system. It just so happens that from where we are in the galaxy, they look like a double star system. Yeah, um, but they are beautiful because of the color differences. Sounds good.
0: And now for some deep sky objects. Now deep sky objects, these are just like uh, non-stellar objects, objects that are comprised of nebula, other galaxies, star clusters that you may, might or might not be able to resolve. And then star clusters are open in globular clusters. And the first one we're going to look at, we're just going to look at a few objects. Then we'll wrap this up is M13, which is right in the keystone of Hercules. So now that it's much darker, insert crickets here, we can go back. Hercules, we identified the pattern earlier, and midway between the two stars that are on, on the keystone, the center part of the keystone uh, asterism in Hercules, um, that set that that's closest to Corona Borealis, you know, about two-thirds of the way um, along that line towards the zenith, you'll find M13, the globular mm-hmm. cluster M13, which is just a whole world looks like a whole globe uh, just full of stars. Now, through binoculars, what does it look like?
1: It really just looks like a a little fuzzy spot. Um, You're not going to resolve individual stars. Um, But if you can identify the keystone, and if you just pan around there with your binoculars, you should come across a a little fuzzy thing, right? A fuzzy ball, fuzzy whatever, patch. And uh, once you've found that, you found M13.
0: Yeah. One thing I like to do is on a nice dark night where I can get to a darker site or even from my backyard and I can just get into that uh, spot between the two trees is start either either up at Altair and work my way down to Scorpius or start at Scorpius and work my way up to Altair. But from a dark site, Altair is paired with another beautiful star called Terazet. And just to the right of Terazet is a dark nebula called Barnard Z. Do you ever look at that? It looks like, And E, and the weird part about it is the person who discovered it was E.E. Barnard and one of the objects named after him spells out one of his initials.
1: Yeah, no, that's very cool. It's huge too. Like it yeah, takes up a big chunk of the sky.
0: Yeah, beautiful binocular target. And then what you can do is you can just sort of work your way down the Milky Way. So the Milky Way is our home galaxy, but from inside our Milky Way galaxy in the summertime, we see it as like these uh, from a dark setting anyway, like billowing star clouds from a dark site. And as you work your way down into Scootum, you can actually see like Scootum the shield. You can actually see that there's this Scootum star cloud. And inside there, there's um, I think what's affectionately called the golf putter asterism kind of looks like a little bit of a dipper. And just to the I think it's just to the left of the uh, of sort of the uh, the club end of that uh, of that golf putter. Is uh, is Messier eleven, which is a very uh, tight packed uh, open cluster of stars. But that that whole Scutum star cloud region is just beautiful.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's in it's incredible naked eye. It's incredible with any form of optical aid. It just is. It's so rich with objects. And then
0: coming down, you can actually see there's another bright one. A, a, a smaller but more concentrated region is called the Small. Sagittarius Star Cloud, and sort of uh, almost as you get to the Sagittarius Star Cloud, where you first run over M16, which uh, which is a cluster and nebula. The nebula is pretty tough to see in binoculars; like, kind of looks fuzzy, but a lot of that is just going to be stars. And that's the famous region of the Pillars of Creation from that famous Hubble shot. And then just below that, there's just a pure nebula, maybe a few stars interlaced, which is the uh, M17 or the Omega Nebula or the what do you call it? There's a bird. It's named after
1: the swan.
0: Well, or, or sorry, the eagle. No. Well, most people call it a swan. Yeah. Some people might call it an eagle. We always call it a cormorant.
1: <laughs> a, a cormorant? Okay.
0: <laughs> I knew you weren't going to get that one. Nope. <laughs> yeah, we get these cormorants down on the uh, east coast, and uh, anyway, so we we call it a, a cormorant. Maybe a loon. It has that belt around its neck. Maybe maybe it looks more like a a loon and going from the loon, we're going to go to the lagoon, which is uh, a bright, uh, well, it's got an open cluster and lots of nebulosity, perhaps summer's answer to the Orion Nebula, which is just a big binocular field away from the top of the Sagittarius teapot so if you kind of go a full binocular field away from from that lid of the teapot you'll get to the lagoon and then uh, just above and to the right of that you get the m20 m21 region of that uh, beautiful cluster and nebulosity that's there and then if you kind of just go a scooch to the left or to the east of the lid of that teapot you're going to see the m22 globular star cluster working our way down if we cut a line straight down go past um the, the spout of the teapot, we're going to get to Messy 7 and Messy 6. Messy 6 is often referred to as the butterfly cluster. Kind of looks like a butterfly, I suppose. I don't know. What do you think?
1: Um, yeah, I'd go with the butterfly. I can live with that.
0: And then Messy 7, uh, recently discussed in whatever podcast is, Tolme's cluster added into Alma uh, uh, Just, which I think was published around like 180 AD or so. So long time ago, uh, been well known. And both those are quite easy to see from, from dark skies. And of course, the further south you go, the easier they there uh, to see. So some of the other stuff that you can see, I'm just going to whip through this really quick because we're a little short on time and maybe I thought this would take longer. But uh, we have off of Deneb, we have the North American nebula And although it might seem like a challenging thing to see kind of once, once it's dark enough and by this time, you know, sort of insert crickets here, maybe you're looking at 12 o'clock or just after should be plenty dark by the middle of the month. And you'll be able to see a bright glowing region. That's just off of Deneb just to the, I think it's kind of sort of to like the Southeast of there, maybe a little bit to the North sort of, you know, anyway, it's just off of Deneb. You'll see a bright glowing region and point your binoculars there and, There's a bit of a star cloud, a bit of a nebula, and they kind of all sort of blend in together. And then one of the things um, that I do like to point out is that we can actually see the double cluster and the Andromeda nebula or the Andromeda Mm -hmm. galaxy. And they're actually both visible in the, in the summer sky, especially here where we're so far north, you, you get sort of a preview of that autumn sky. So you can come off a couple of the stars in Cassiopeia and they point down to, to the double cluster, which is really bright and easy to see with the unaided eye. In fact, I think when we've been out observing with the public and, and showing people the stars, before we get to that, sometimes people will say, hey, what's that fuzzy thing over there? And they'll actually be pointing it out.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Under the right sky, it's, it's quite easy to see.
0: Yeah, and through binoculars, it's just spectacular. Oh yeah, and then kind of to close off, sort of sort of rising in our, it, it, I guess it's sort of in the north um, eastern part of the sky. We can actually uh, get people to hunt down the Andromeda galaxy. It's always kind of neat that, that we were viewing lots of stuff that are on that, that's in our own galaxy. All these clusters, nebulas that we're looking at all exist in our own uh, Milky Way galaxy. And then um, we actually observe the Milky Way galaxy, you see that bright billowing uh, stream of stars uh, and star clouds, and then to actually show people the Andromeda galaxy over there in uh, in Andromeda, uh, and and to you know sort of leave them with that kind of hanging. So there's there's your binocular tour, there's your sky tour for the month, listeners and and shanes alike out there.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. At this point, instead of crickets, it could be snoring because now it's snoring. late at night. You're falling asleep. You're very tired.
0: <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's always going to need after after you do some some observing like that. You uh, you know you might uh, you might might fall asleep and dream of stars, right?
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: I don't know if that's ever happened to you.
1: Uh, probably once or twice. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Sometimes I I'm observing and then like like I like I've said. Sub- few times before i go to i go to sleep and then i uh i like to wake up later and and go back out and do some observing you know into the dawn and sometimes uh i'll go to bed and i'll keep observing (laughs) it's a very strange experience so that's the tour that's the the binocular binocular tour of the night sky i I think shane turned it into a binocular snore maybe at the end but uh (laughs) hopefully people stayed awake
1: Hopefully. <laughs> if they didn't, they can just restart the podcast.
0: Good stuff. Anything else to add to this? That is all. All right. Do we have any people to thank for their Patreon support?
1: Uh yeah, we would like to thank new Patreons. Uh Robert and let me just pull it up here. Yeah, we had a
0: few people that uh that have recently uh supported via Patreon, which which we appreciate. We just do this podcast for for fun, and uh, you know, it's great to uh, to get that support because um, we do have some bills to cover, so that we make sure that the quality is is good and that we're actually able to distribute it um, in an easy and effective manner. So, Shane, without further ado, do you have the other person that we are thanking yeah. today?
1: Yeah. So, Josh is the other one. My apologies. I, I thought it was Josh, but I I wanted to just double check because I hate yeah. you know when I say it wrong or or get the wrong name. So. Uh, Robert and Josh are new Patreons. We really appreciate it. And, and thank you very much.
0: And Robert sent us a, a cool note about some of his observations and his fishing. And uh, he he's a fellow um, fisher person like yourself. So that's kind of cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, has an 81 millimeter refractor, I believe, if I remember yeah, I that remember correctly. Yeah. Sounds and like is, that. Uh, another Florida observer. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And it sounds like it's been unseasonably cloudy at night, which is unfortunate. But hopefully there that is. turns around. And you know, and again, this time of the year if, if you're going to have bad conditions, this is the time to do it when you know it's near solstice. Um, as we get, you know, further into fall, that's when you want the clear skies anyway. So
0: have you ever have you ever been to Florida, Shane?
1: No, it's, it's definitely on my list. We, we would oh. love to get down to the keys and, and, and a few other areas, uh, in Florida, uh, go to Orlando, see the NASA, NASA and, and JPL yep. stuff. And all that. Yeah.
0: It it's really cool. I I've been there uh, a couple times. The last time I went, I went for three weeks. Um, I think it was four years ago and, uh, yeah, it's, it's amazing. I did some astronomy there. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was great. I always wanted to get back actually even like joined, um, there's like a, I think chief land astronomy, um, has this, this observing field. And I had hoped to get up there and do some observing, but, uh, it it just didn't work out, but I got up, I I spent some time on an Island called Sanibel, um, which is attached to the mainland via causeway. And anyway, spectacular place. Can't wait. Hopefully once these uh, COVID restrictions get off and we have a few, uh, you know, good, uh, months behind us, uh, would definitely like to get back to Florida again. Uh just fantastic time. You, you should go definitely
1: go sometime for sure.
0: Okay. Well, with that, we will bid everybody adieu.
1: <laughs> Farewell. Thank you everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us or if you would like to support the podcast,